study of the book of Ecclesiastes this week and next week are, we're going to be there's there's large portions of the book that we're going to we're going to not skip over I encourage you to still go through and read it but um, there's a there's a huge chunk of the book in chapter 10 and chapter 11 where where uh, Solomon kind of um, revisits a lot of ideas that he's already visited and, and we don't want to we don't want to spend a lot of time going through that we've already gone through the ideas but we're going to we're going to be looking at a topic that affects all of us this morning, and uh, and it, it is a, a bit of a sensitive topic. So uh, we're gonna we're going to try to deal with it the best we can, the best the way can, in the light of of the teaching of Scripture. Um, but uh, I want to encourage you to to if you have a Bible, um, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in a rack in the rack right in front of you. But if you have your Bible, we're going to go to the Book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to go to chapter eight. Uh, find the book of Ecclesiastes, open the Bible about halfway through, you should hit the book of Psalms, uh, and then Ecclesiastes is, is actually uh, the second book to the right from Psalms, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and we're in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Um, in this chapter, Solomon is going to jump headfirst into the discuss- a discussion of death. Now, death is something that we fixate about. Now, having said that, I have to remind myself of something, so let me put the sermon over for a second. I have to make a clarification that I'm sure all of you were very concerned about. Last week, I was talking about gravitational wells, and I said that the edge of a gravitational well is an event horizon, and that was actually scientifically incorrect. It's called the Lagrangian point, and there are five of them on every gravitational well. So now, if for some reason you need to send something to the moon, you know that you don't need to overcome the event horizon, you need to overcome the Lagrangian point, okay? So I know that all of you were planning that, so now we know. But we, we do want to be, and, and as, as, as one, of, one, of my, one of my proof checkers, and I have people who actually listen to the messages and say that was incorrect, you need to, you know, and, and that's, we need to do that. Uh, one of my proof checkers said to me, there's no room for bad science in the church. And he's right. We threw out the flat earth thing. We should throw out this too. So it's called a Lagrangian point. All right, back to the sermon. Bring that back into place. So Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and, and Solomon is going to get into the topic of death. He has journeyed through a struggle with human wisdom and he has now come up over the edge, and now he is going to go at breakneck speed toward a journey with God. And he's going to culminate that in chapter 12, but here he's going to deal with, now that I've gone through this journey, now that I've come through this human wisdom, now let's look at what all human beings have in common. Chapter 8 and verse 1, he says this, Who is like the wise man? Who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. Obey the king's commands, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. There is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a man's misery weighs heavily upon him. Now, he's using this as an illustration. He's saying, look here, there's a king. God sets priorities. He sets, um, I, he sets the king over you. And, of course, Solomon was a king. So he's saying, this is, this is part of life. 
Verse 7, Since no man knows the future, who can tell him what is to come? No man has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the day of his death. As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I say, as I applied my mind to everything done in the sun, there is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Again, an illustration, he says in verse 10, Then too, I saw the wicked buried. Those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. And this too is meaningless. Coming and going and all that stuff. It's meaningless because you get buried. You die. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the heart of the people, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. And although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know that it will go better with God-fearing men who are reverent before God. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. You're not going to get older by being wicked. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve. And wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. So he kind of slips back into this human wisdom thing. It's not fair. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of his life, of the life that God has given him under the sun. Kind of throws out, you know, just live again, a little bit of human wisdom. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labor on earth, his eyes not sleeping day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. So I reflected on this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hand, but no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not, as it is with good man, so it is with the sinner, as it is with those who took, take oaths, so, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is an evil, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. He says in verse 4, he's got a great line in verse 4, he says, even a living dog is better than a dead lion. And what he says, basically, he, he gets down to this idea of, look, we're all going to die. Now, that's, that's a great conclusion. It's a fantastic idea, isn't it? You know, this is something we really like to dwell on. And in our, in our modern society, with all of our medicine and science and all of those things, we invest tremendous amounts of resources into staving off death and lengthening our lives. And we don't like death. We like it hidden. We don't like to be there when somebody dies. It's, it's, and it's, I mean, as a pastor, I've been there. I've been on the side of bed, uh, the bedside when somebody passes on. And, and it is, it's, it's weird in our culture because we look at it as if it's something, it's the end of something, which scripturally it's not. And, and it's just a stage. It's just a, a movement. But um, we see it and we look at it and we go, ah, oh, and it's, it's something we, we, we try to avoid. If you don't believe that, just look at how much industry is created by the idea of trying to make women look like they're not getting old. 
We have, we have billions of dollars invested every year by women who, who, who don't want to give the impression that they're old. And, and you know what? Some of the cool things, I mean, I, and I, I know it's Father's Day, but, but one of the cool things about my mom is that my mom, she is perfectly willing to age. Her hair went gray. I hope she's not listening. Um, but uh, her hair went gray and she let it go gray. And she has the most beautiful silver hair. Um, and she just... It, she's got cool hair. Um, I, I kind of hope my hair goes that way. As long as it doesn't go on the floor, I don't care what happens to it. Um, but the the this, you know, she she aged, and, and you know, you look at my mom, and you can tell she's my mom. Um, and and we we go out together, and and we go out and eat and everything, and and she's my mom. I mean, she's pretty. She's she's aged gracefully. She you know, and she just aged gracefully. Then then there's the flip side. You're walking down the mall, walking in the mall, and you see the woman who's probably in her mid-50s who is wearing her teenage granddaughter's jeans and applies her makeup with a spatula. And you look at it... Now, now, the tendency is to make fun of that person and say, oh, look how... But what is she really trying to do? She's trying to recapture her youth. She's trying to pretend like death is not coming, like I am not aging, like I am not growing, that I am not maturing, that I am not moving through this journey. I want to be young. Men divorcing their wives because they want to trade them in for a younger model. I had a friend who said one time, he goes, he goes yeah, this is my wife turning 40. I'm thinking about trading her in for two 20-year-olds. You know, and and the, you know, they say, it's callous. But why do we think that way? We think that way because we're trying to stave off death. With men, if they can be with a young woman, then that makes them feel young. And, and you know, I mean, men try to make themselves look younger, don't they? I mean, we, we, we have that tendency. We, we do that thing. Um, you know, uh, we dye our hair, and there's nothing wrong. I'm not saying don't dye your hair if you dye your hair. If you, you don't have hair, don't dye it. Um, <laughs> and, and please don't get a toupee. Just, just go, with, go with the flow. But the... We, we're constantly struggling with this. And Solomon really confronts death and he says very bluntly and very straightforward, look, death is part of who we are. Wicked, righteous, tall, short, matriculated or uneducated, suborned or superior, sojourner or stationary. There, I got all three of them in. You, you will die. This is a hard realization for us. It's a hard realization for Solomon. Think about his life. This is a guy who did everything right. I mean, he was a he was a he was a ladies' man. Thousand women living in his house. He was wealthy. He was a poet. He was a wise man. He he had everything. And yet he woke up one morning, and said, "One day I'm going to die." We all make that realization somewhere along the way in life. And it is what we decide at that moment, it is what we decide knowing our humanity that separates human wisdom from God's wisdom. So much of faith and and religion and Christianity is driven by this idea of, okay, I'm going to die, so I'm going to turn my life into a mad rush from birth to death 
hopefully avoiding as much sin as I possibly can in the middle. Christians, especially since the Middle Ages, have had this, this, this obsession with what happens after I die. Do you go to heaven or do you go to hell? Now this was fostered, a little bit of history. In the Middle Ages, the, the Roman Catholic Church used the idea of heaven or hell to get people into church and giving their money. That's what they did. Um, there was a, a, a German emperor, just as an illustration, named Henry. And uh, Henry opposed the Pope, Gregory, I think it was Gregory VII. Um, one of my fact checkers will get the exact number on it. But um, Henry opposed the Pope. He said to the Pope, you don't have any right to, uh, appoint, um, to appoint bishops in my territory. I can appoint bishops in my territory. And so the Pope did what Popes always do. He wrote a letter. You say, he did what? He wrote a letter. Wrote a letter, sent it out to all the bishops and all the, the leaders of, of, of Europe. And he said, Henry's been excommunicated. He goes to hell. The emperor of the Holy Roman Empire went to the Pope's uh, winter palace and stood outside sat outside on his hands and knees wailing and gnashing of teeth in snow for three days to get the pope to retract that power of death heaven and hell obsessed with it you look at you look at so much of what happened in the medieval world and it was all about whether you could get to heaven or to hell. The whole point of the Crusades was so this group of people, this warrior class, the knights, uh, who killed for a living could gain atonement for their sin, that they could, be, they could have their sins remitted, their temporal sins, so that they could go to heaven. And today in our modern culture, so much of religion is about just kind of getting from birth to death without doing anything too bad. And it's all about being correct. And I want to share with you just a, a couple of thoughts on that topic that Solomon kind of introduces for us. I want to share with you something Jesus had to say on the topic of life. John chapter 10 Jesus talking to his, his disciples. He says this in verse 7. He says, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. And I want you to watch verse 10. He says, the thief will come only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life. And have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now I want, you to draw, I want to draw an image for you in a moment of what he's talking about when he says the fullness of life. In the ancient world, the way that shepherding worked was basically you were the, you, the shepherd and maybe some of his helpers had... Um, folds they had areas where they kept the sheep at night and during the day they took the sheep out to different pastures to eat that's what sheep do um it's pretty much all they do actually they eat and they grow wool and then they die um so it's pretty much their only function and and he would take these sheep out and he would go on the pasture sheep are notoriously stupid and and, and it 
that's their, their function is to make wool and, and eat grass. So they don't really need a lot of, of brains. But they're, they're notoriously stupid. So, but they also have really good memories for danger. If a, a, a flock of dogs attacks a, sh- a herd of sheep one time, the sheep kind of ignore it and they move on with their life. If it attacks them again, if there's a second attack and more sheep die, the flock becomes aware of that and starts to get skittish. They start to worry about being attacked and the sheep will stop eating. The, sheep, the, 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 the mother sheep will... will what, is, what do you call a mother sheep? You, no, I asked you. Um, the, the, uh, oh, that was a terrible joke. Can we delete that? Um, the ewes, the ewes will, their, their, their milk will dry up and the lambs will die. Because they get so scared and they get so nervous, they're like the dachshunds of, of, of herd sheep, uh, not dachshunds, uh, um, greyhounds. And greyhounds are really nervous dogs and, and they can freak out, so you have to be really careful around them. Sheep are the same way, they just freak out and they just freeze. And the shepherd tries to lead them and they're, they're not going anywhere because, hey man, we got attacked and every time we eat grass we die, this is not a good thing. And they, they freeze up. And, and they are frozen by the attack. And Jesus draws an image for us. He says, look, he says, the thief and the, 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 the one who's going to come and to steal. He says, they, they attack the flock. So, of course, they don't listen to the voice. But the sheep get frozen. He said, I have come that they might have life to the full, that they might have life abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. What does he mean? He means that we, the sheep... Walking in the flock with the good shepherd do not have to fear the wolves. And so we can live. Not, not frozen, rush from one place to the other, one flock to the other, get from one fold to the other as fast as we possibly can, hope that we don't get hurt, but rather that we can live. There is no more content animal in the world than a sheep that is free to live. Chewing the, chewing the grass and being happy and being stupid because they're free. I mean, if you've got a free sheep, have you ever, I grew up on farms. You, have you seen a sheep get sheared? Do they fight? No. The, here, shepherd grabs the sheep like this. Another guy grabs clippers. I mean, anytime somebody who's not a trained barber grabs clippers and walks toward me, I get a little skittish. And, and they, they, get, they walk over and they, what? You never cut my hair. The, um, the, no, I, see, it's Father's Day. I'm not allowed to get, ma- get my wife mad at me today. Um, so they, they grab these sheep, and the guy walks up with clippers, big, nasty-looking clippers. And the sheep just sit there. They let the sheep go naked. He goes running in the field. He's like, hey, hey, because he's happy. He's free. He's got life. And we're confronted with, a, with a, a, an idea here Do we rush through our lives afraid of the wolves or do we trust the good shepherd and live? There are many Christians who go through life and go through the world and go through everything so terrified of what might happen. Now, don't be stupid. You know, we don't don't go into places where we know we're going to sin. But... At the same time, we can enjoy the things that God has given us. 
The things that are meant by God to bring joy and happiness to our heart. The relationships that God puts into our, into our lives so that we can celebrate God's goodness in them. I know, I know many pastors who go through lives without ever forming relationships with people because they are so afraid that those people will stab them in the back. They are so afraid that those people will turn on them. And you know what almost always happens with those guys? It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Those who they never connect with never feel connected to them. And there are Christians who go through life so afraid they're going to break the rules. So afraid that, that, that sin is going to catch them. And sin is a nasty thing. I'm not saying it isn't. But we can't focus on that. We've got to focus on the Good Shepherd. Our eyes and our minds as sheep walking through the pasture has to be, we've got a shepherd who is going to take out anything that tries to come and get at me. We have a Christ, a, 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 there's a, a Latin term, Christus Victor, that Christ is victorious over sin. That no, no sin that comes down the road is, is unstoppable in the face of Jesus. We say, well, I mean... I'm so afraid of this sin. But are, you can be, it's fine to be afraid of the sin as long as you're trusting Christ. Because here's the deal. Death is going to happen anyway. It's going to happen. Now, I know Jesus could come and we could go to heaven without being dead and all that, but let's just, let's just face facts. For about few thousand years, maybe more. Every human being has walked the face of the earth except for Elijah, Enoch, and, well, Jesus. They died. They died. And I don't think I'm going to be any different. Probably going to die. Hopefully in a glorious way. But I doubt it. But that's the reality of life. So let's just dispense with that. And let's live life abundant. What does Jesus, when Jesus talks about this and, and Solomon deals with this and he's, he's going to go through it, he's going to tap a couple of things. I love what he says in, and if you turned away from Ecclesiastes, you don't have to turn back, but in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 9, he says, um, uh, uh, is it verse 9? It's not verse 9. I got to read my own note. Hold on. Verse 8, however many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. Let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. He slips back into that little bit of human wisdom there. But he says, look, you're going to die. And Jesus responds to that, so let me give you life, overflowing and filled, and more abundant. What is an abundant life? And, and what is the new life? The Apostle Paul writes in Romans, he says, that, that Jesus uh, gives us a new life. And I, I want to just draw your attention to something. If you haven't heard me say this before, every truth of the Scriptures begins in the book of Genesis. That's what Genesis means. It means beginnings. And this idea of a, of a new life begins in Genesis. 
And here it is, Genesis chapter 2, talking about man and his life and the way that he goes through life. God says this, here it is. Now the Lord God, Jehovah God, Yahweh God, had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. He breaks them up, Pishon, Havilah, um, Gihon. He, he goes to Tigris, Euphrates, the whole thing. Um, in verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any garden of the tree, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you shall surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I'll make, her, make a helper, a helpmeet suitable for him. He creates a woman from man. Verse 23, the man said, This now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Very original, Adam. Thank you. Um, For she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. When we read that passage and we see that, I would contend to you that the life that God wants to make in you is not a life that is completely free of temptation and sin, because even in the Garden of Eden, that exists. There was, a, there was that, that tree, and we could argue the semantics of why, or the, the theology and the epistemology of why God chose to do that and all this stuff. Let's, let's just put that aside for the moment, and let's just look at what life was like. Man and woman, husband and wife, one-on-one, in harmony with each other, in love with each other. Man and creation in harmony, living together, fruit that that grew for him to live in. Man given a role to work and to be a part of God's creation. Wasn't a massive party, but it was a perfect life. A life where God took care of the providing and I took care of the worshiping. A life where God had formed the borders and I was free to move inside the borders He created. A life where man communed with God and God communed with man. And God at every stage in the creation of that says, it is good. And God desires us to be His flock, journeying in the boundaries that He as the Good Shepherd makes for us, and to celebrate that life. And that's why antinomianism, which is the belief, the the non-law, that God says you can do whatever you want to do, doesn't work. Because God is still, Jesus is still the shepherd, and He still makes the boundaries, but inside those boundaries, I can enjoy the things that are there. I can can celebrate those things that are there. I can indulge in those things that are there. Because God sets the boundaries. And as we read the Scriptures, we see the boundaries that Jesus set. We know where they are. And inside of that, we are free to live. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't it sound good to be able to be free? 
to, to live with, in communion with God and know what He desires me to be. And to have freedom within that. Let's pause. Take a moment. And speak to Him. And thank Him for who He is. Father, You created us to be in communion with You. To be in communion with the people You have brought into our lives. The boundaries that You have set. Lord, I pray for everyone here. I don't know hearts and minds. There are people here who have not entered into a relationship with You through Jesus. I ask that they would be drawn and take that step this morning and we could celebrate with them. God, as we journey with You, You have given us spouses to, to live in freedom in the relationship with that spouse, to, to totally and completely revel and, and indulge in the love and, and, and the difference in the the, the, the the relationship there, all the, the wonderful, beautiful uh, uh, complexity of that, that relationship. You have given us children and, and a relationship with them that we are able to, to celebrate and enjoy and be a part of their lives and, and discipline and, and teach. You have given us a church and a mission and a vision and, 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 a, and a dream of, of, of Your kingdom. And You have given us uh, things that we are, are free to, to partake of within the bounds of your, your flock and to celebrate and to live in abundance and to live the life that You have given us. Lord, I pray. I, I, I don't know, but maybe here there are folks who are on that mad rush through life just trying to avoid sin, just trying to avoid things, just trying to get through life. Father, I find, pray that they would find peace and quiet and communion with You. To know You and to know You as our Good Shepherd. To know the boundary and border of Your flock. To, to live in freedom in those boundaries that You create. To know that communion and walk with you. Jesus, thank you for being who you are. Opening the door of faith so that we can know your Father and walk with Him with you. Lord, help us to grow. Help us to mature. Help us to change. Help us to have the, the, the guts to to step where you tell us to step and, and the, to release the things that you call us to release and to hold the things that you call us to hold. We thank you for being our God, our Master, our Savior, our Lord. Amen.